2: Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango? So when I was in high school, I went and I met this relative who was in advertising just to learn more about it and to see if I wanted to be a copywriter. And he warned me that the most terrifying thing I'd have to face every day was a blank page. Like, the hardest part of the job is coming up with fresh ideas every single day. And at the time, you know, I was cocky and I just kind of laughed. But (laughs) if you've ever suffered from writer's block, you know how daunting just starting a new project or coming up with new ideas can be. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I I think about somebody like Harper Lee, of course, from
3: my home state, not everything has to be about your state of Delaware (laughs) on the show, Mango. But, you know, after writing To Kill a Mockingbird, she had such a hard time writing and it was it was almost like she was looking for distractions. And I, I found this great quote from her. I'd not seen this before, but but she says, I found I can't write. I have about 300 personal friends who keep dropping in for a cup of coffee. I've tried getting (laughs) up at six, but then all the six o'clock risers congregate.
0: I mean, if you've got 300 friends coming over for a coffee, like don't make coffee. (laughs) That's good advice. Or make a smaller pot. But, you know, writer's block is really hard. And I've always been amazed by like the people who can just crank out coffee like Jerry Seinfeld. Like, do you know his trick? I don't think so. What is it? So Jerry's a prolific writer, and uh, he was asked how he stayed so productive. And in this one interview, he confessed he actually hates writing. It's just that he used to keep a calendar on his wall. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I think I have heard this story before. But yeah, keep going. Yeah, and every day he'd write and he'd mark this big X on the calendar and his motivation for writing the next day was just that he wanted to draw another X and he didn't want to break that chain. (laughs) But that made me wonder, like, what are the tips other geniuses have used to stay productive? Like, can smells or different clothing or certain tricks help nudge you into finally writing that great American novel you've always wanted to write? Like, what are the funniest ways to beat writer's block? And that's what today's show is all about. Let's dive in.
3: Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh Hatikater. And sitting behind the soundproof glass, just furiously working on his latest manifesto.
0: (laughs) He is one motivated
3: dude. He is that. That's our friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. So, Mango. part of the reason we did this episode was that you were telling me about how some of the folks in Hollywood used to deal with writer's block, right?
0: Yeah, so I I was on this website where uh, someone had pasted an interview from The Hollywood Reporter with Joel and Ethan Cohen, the Cohen brothers. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were talking about this Hollywood producer named Hal Roach, who's apparently a legend. I I didn't know about him, but he did Laurel and Hardy and Little Rascals and a bunch of famous movies and shows. And one of his tricks was when the writers were running out of ideas, he'd bring someone called a wildy into the writing room. And what's a wildy? Exactly. So it turns out a wildy is someone Roach would recruit either from like a mental institution or it could be just like a drunk off the street. And he'd bring them in, put them at the writer's table. And when things were getting stagnant, like at a table read or a story meeting, these people would just blurred out these wild phrases or comments or <laughs> wow. sometimes just full stories whenever they felt like it, which feels <laughs> ridiculous. But it also provided this, like, complete non sequitur. And as the Coen brothers pointed out, like, sometimes a good idea is a good idea no matter where it comes from or who it comes from. And wow. I... I also think there were a lot of bad ideas blurred out by the Wild East Cube, <laughs> I have to imagine, yeah. But, uh, you know, speaking of the Coens, they like to beat their writer's block just by starting another project. So while they were trying to write and complete Miller's Crossing, which is a fabulous film, they actually switched to working on Barton Fink. And then they just switched back and forth until they had two scripts instead of just one. I mean, that's such an interesting way to beat writer's block. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like the idea that, like, if you can't finish one script, just finish two. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so where do you want to go from here? All right, well, a very different direction. How about Dan Brown,
3: who you, of course, know as the author of The Da Vinci Code? and Sure. And was reading about some of the ways that he would deal with writer's block. So just to keep his blood pumping, he would set an antique hourglass for every half hour, and when the sand would run out... He would do a bunch of push-ups and stretches, which actually feels pretty normal, like an interesting way to deal with Mm -hmm. it. But when he's really out of ideas, he does something a little bit more strange. So he slips into a pair of gravity boots and just hangs upside down, bat style, in order to work through the problem. I I told (laughs) you this was a different kind of idea, but it's actually more complicated than that. So he was giving this speech at a New Hampshire public radio event, and he described how he does this. So apparently he has this specially designed table where he straps himself in and then the table rotates around so that his head is where his feet should what? be <laughs> and his toes are pointing to the ceiling. And apparently the guy's been doing this for a while and it actually helped him come up with, you know, all those anagrams he's used in his books.
0: That is so weird. And mm-hmm. I honestly feel like like having that much blood rush in my head would make me less inclined to come yeah, up with a good idea. Totally. That would be the only thing I could
3: think about is how uncomfortable I was.
0: <laughs> but I mean, I, I guess how you brainstorm is pretty personal. You know, I, I've read a bunch of people's bios, like um, Louis Bunuel, the director. He had this chapter in his autobiography where he uh, talked about how like a certain type of corner booth in a dark bar and like a certain type of martini with a very specific vermouth, I think it was Norley Pratt, like, he would say those were the things that you need exactly for breaking through writing. (laughs) And, uh, you know... You read his description and you think, like, this is so romantic and it feels like such a thing to do in the city. And you can see how ideas just flow to him in the setting. But for someone like me, like, I hate writing when I've had even like a sip of alcohol. It does not work for me at all.
3: Yeah, I would say the same thing. But, um, you know, well, one thing that might work for you if you're looking for zero distractions is to follow Edgar Allan Poe and also Jack Kerouac's advice for writing on scrolls, Mango. Scrolls? yeah neither of them thought that it was smart to get up from your seat and have to go get another piece of paper. Now, why they couldn't just keep a bunch of paper near them? I'm not really <laughs> sure, but anyway, they felt like different getting up, time <laughs> yeah but but they felt like getting up to get more paper would spur these other distractions, so Poe would actually attach pieces of paper together to make these long spools, and then he just used some wax to seal it up, and that's actually how he delivered work
0: to his editors. Can you imagine this? I would be so pissed if someone turned in a scroll to me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and what about Jack Kerouac? Well, it was kind of the same thing. So he
3: always said that stopping to get more paper broke his concentration. So on the road, that
0: was actually scrawled out on a 120-foot roll of paper. I mean, that feels like it should be in a museum or something, right? Like it's pretty incredible. Yeah, it really is. You know what my favorite Kerouac fact is? What's that? So this is from when we did the swimsuit issue for Mental Floss, and we found a picture of him in a bathing suit and Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just threw some facts next to it. But uh, it's that he skipped his high school graduation to read Leaves of Grass, which I just (laughs) think is so amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm sure I've told you this before, but like I was forced to attend my high school graduation, and the superintendent of our school read out all the lyrics to, and I swear this is true, uh, what he referred to as the classic song from the movie Space Gems. (laughs) What is The classic song from the movie Space Jam. I believe I can fly. Oh, of course. So we were stuck in our seats and and he treated it like every word was so meaningful. Like he was like, I believe I can fly. Oh god. I believe I can touch the sky. It was please stop. This is it was really inspirational. And we all left the school and became pilots. (laughs) Of course you did. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, well, back to the facts. What fact do you want to go with next? Well, one thing I I think can be a cause of writer's block is when you're too comfortable. My mother-in-law actually has this story of when she was in college one summer and she was selling vacuum cleaners. And she said, like, on the weeks when she was particularly hungry or she needed something specific, like, on those weeks, she'd somehow sell four vacuum cleaners. And when she wasn't, she'd just sell two or three. And I think it's kind of the same with writing. And there's this great story from Sherwood Anderson. In 1906, he quit his job to focus on writing, and his publishers, who were kind of betting on him, sent him these weekly advance checks, but he was having total writer's block, so he actually asked them to stop. And when they asked him why, he said, quote, it's no use. I find it impossible to work with security staring me in the face.
3: Oh, gosh. (laughs) That's pretty wild. I think I would find just the opposite in that situation. You know, I I don't know. That's pretty interesting. Well, yeah. So one thing I've read about is how people love to find the perfect writing spaces. So Roald Dahl had his, you know, his writing shed where he'd walk to and he'd throw a blanket on his legs and write from an easy chair like that to me seems like a little bit more of a good spot to do your writing. And yeah. There was some right. I was trying to remember, I, I want to say it was Colin McCann who has this tiny space on the floor between a bookshelf and the wall where he sits and types. It's, it's kind of like a little nook there. But one of the most unusual spaces I've come across is George Bernard Shaw's. And in many ways, his writer's hut was full of distractions. Like it had electricity and a telephone and a bell so people could ring for him. And But one thing, like it had this advantage of being one or two minutes away from the house. So when visitors would come over, his wife could answer the door and actually honestly tell them that he was out, even though he was just, you know, a minute away or so. But (laughs) one of the most important things to Shaw was good lighting. And his hut was actually pretty ingeniously built because it was like this giant lazy Susan. So he could actually spin it and follow the sun as he wrote, which seemed like a pretty cool setup.
0: Oh, that's ridiculous, but I like it. Okay, so I I know we've got two more facts to go, but before we get to those, let's take a little break.
1: I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy.
2: My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of.
1: I get the impression that you don't,
0: Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. We're talking writer's block. Now, Will, I know I can struggle with writer's block sometimes, but uh, do you actually ever deal with it? Oh, no question.
3: Yeah, it's definitely frustrating when it happens. So what what do you do to deal with it?
0: So I like doing my research ahead of time and getting all the books and things I need. But when it comes to actually writing, sometimes I have like a super hard time getting started if I don't feel like I have a good enough idea. But then I'd say like five or six years ago, I read this thing that Peter Kafka, who's this legendary editor, he told his writers. And he said, just write out some beginnings. And, you know, the idea was just start something and write a beginning and then write another beginning to that story and then another. And even if you have to stop and all you have is a page of beginnings, isn't that a beautiful thing? And (laughs) I love that quote so much. And somehow that works for me. Like just, you know, you start three or four things and pick one that you like and then just let the words flow from that until they don't. (laughs) But that's sort of my trick even though we're not here to talk about my trick. So what's your final fact going to be for this? That's still a pretty
3: good trick, though. I don't think you've ever told me that before. Well, (laughs) how about something about um, Salvador Dali who perfected the power nap? So I love napping, so go on. Well, Dali was obsessed with that dream space between falling asleep and being awake. So he tried to figure out how to put himself into that space for inspiration. So he had a little trick for this. What he would do is he would sit in a chair... And put a tin plate on the floor and then fall asleep holding a spoon, like pretty specific. So, <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, maybe have some keys over the plate or something like that. But when the object that he was holding dropped from his hand and onto the tin, he'd get startled awake. And, and his hope was that he'd have this new wonderful idea in his head when he woke up.
0: So... That sounds like the worst way to wake up. Like, it feels <laughs> like you're almost falling asleep in yeah. this comfortable chair, but it's not really a nap. <laughs> but I am kind of amazed. So, so did it work?
3: Well, he swore by the method. In fact, in his book, 50 Secrets of Magic Craftsmanship, he he actually writes, here's the quote. He says, the moment the key drops from your fingers, you may be sure that the noise of its fall on the upside down plate will awaken you. And you may be equally sure that the fugitive moment when you had barely lost consciousness and during which you cannot be assured of having really slept is totally sufficient. Inasmuch as not a second more is needed for your physical and psychic being to be revivified by just the necessary amount of (laughs) repose. So I don't, I can't say that I know exactly what that quote means,
0: but it just sounds weird and fascinating and so Dolly. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Dolly was also afraid of trains and he used to sit in the front of the train because he thought it got into places faster. That's and right, that's right. He used to make his own cologne out of fish glue. So I can't <laughs> say that I trust all his ideas. But... I mean, those seem smart to me. <laughs> well, my last fact is about Charles Dickens who needed a few simple things on his desk to inspire him. So wherever he went, And he often wrote from the road, he needed five bronze animal statues, a paper (laughs) knife, a green vase, a desk calendar blue ink and only blue ink and some quills so if you're really struggling to write something it's probably because you don't have enough quills or bronze animal statues watching you as you write i imagine
3: sounding a little bit like the steve martin scene in the jerk where he just needs the (laughs) ashtray and the lamp but i'm curious that why blue ink like was he ocd about writing or what
0: Uh, maybe, but, you know, I've actually read it's more because he realized blue ink at the time dried faster. So it was this trick he used to keep himself moving and not smudging or having to blot the pages as much. Hmm, That's interesting. Well, you know, I'm not sure if you had the best facts
3: today, but you definitely had the best story about a terrible graduation speech and (laughs) it made me feel a little bit bad for you. So I'm just going to give you the trophy this week.
0: (laughs) A pity trophy. I like it. You know, I I believed I could fly and today I did fly. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I changed my mind. (laughs) Well, that's it for today's episode from Will, Gabe, Tristan and the rest of us, a part-time genius. Thank you so much for listening.
2: For generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's That's right.
1: Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist.